Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Greetings, I'm Trisha Kaffer from sunny Key Largo, Florida, your host for New Books and Architecture, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. If you have any ideas for books, please send me an email at plantspeoplelove at gmail.com. I have a very special guest here for you today, noted architect Wade Weissman, and his book is Heirloom Houses, published by Gibbs and Smith in 2018. Hi, Wade. Welcome to the show. Well, hello. Thank you very much. Uh, let's start with tell the audience a little bit about yourself and your educational background. Okay. Um, well, I was born in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, so I'm a Midwest kid. Um, and uh, in the early 1960s. And so I grew up when Milwaukee was sort of a very vibrant uh, industrial city. My father uh, had an art studio I uh, was a commercial artist and worked with a lot of different agencies and local companies. Uh, and it was a pretty thriving business economy when I was a little boy. Um, and uh, and I, I grew up in that, you know, sort of industrial backdrop city, which, um, you know, is a very interesting, vibrant place. And I ended up falling in love with architecture and old buildings and um, all kinds of new things that were tr- taking place around us at the time. And um, and I remember they were building the expressway system and, and, uh, you know, they were, you know, essentially, you know, changing entire parts of the city and, uh, you know, some were lost and, 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 and it was very sad, but then there were other things that, you know, brought some new vibrant sort of, you know, construction to the city. And, uh, and I fell in love with architecture and decided to study architecture there as an undergrad, um, and uh, did my four years uh, at the University of Wisconsin, Milwaukee, and then uh, did a year abroad at a small private school in Paris. Uh, and then from there went on to graduate school, and I went to the University of Pennsylvania and graduated with my master's in architecture in 1991. Uh, and since then, I have been practicing as a residential primary architect. Um, uh, since then, I started my business in the mid nineties and, um, and my business has been lucky to have, uh, weathered a few recessions. And so I still find myself in a, in existence now with, with offices in three different parts of the country, Pittsburgh, uh, my hometown, Milwaukee and Santa Barbara. Oh, wow. You've expanded. I have. Yes. I've expanded my <laughs> the ge- the geography and um and and you know really um they sort of came subsequent to clients bringing us to new locations um and wanting to build uh secondary homes or or uh, uh businesses in places that allowed me to be able to sort of expand um flex my muscle a little bit and and check out uh local architecture um, build some new relationships, and uh, which led to some new opportunities. So that's kind of how the expansion took place. It was kind of organic. So what was your motivation for writing this particular book? Well, I think in many ways it was um, 
a way to substantiate what a lot of our clients were asking us to do, which was they were looking for multi-generational buildings that um, residences that, you know, could serve as a backdrop for, uh, you know, their subsequent generations down the road um, wanted to, you know, do something that was, you know, really different in, in, in that they were looking for longevity in these buildings, looking for hundred year plus materials and, Hundred year plus, you know, windows and doors, things that you don't really get to do very often because we've. Um, uh, I think most people think in terms of their lifespan and not think about um, lifespans beyond theirs. And so, um, instead of instead of you know them thinking in terms of well, I just need this for the next twenty five years of my life or so. They really thought, you know, look, we're, we're going to build a family compound here. This is going to be around for hundreds of years, we hope. Um, you know, I'm going to set it up in a way that, you know, the, the generations beyond me can enjoy it. And so we make decisions a little bit different with those clients. And so writing this book was an opportunity to, um, you know, document these projects that we were working with our clients on. Uh, and they were worthy of, of sharing. So in your book, uh, who was Steve and how did he uh, help you creatively put this book together? So Stephen Stolman uh, is, is the writer of the book. And um, Stephen has been involved in design for decades, um, from fashion to architecture to interiors, um, is very, very fluent um, in sort of classical languages. And uh, he and I uh, hit it off, became friends, and uh, you know, he really kind of was, you know, wonderfully poetic and a beautiful wordsmith, and was was sort of a very poetic voice for our work. And so that collaboration uh, led to this book. Um, so, in your intro, I'm going to skip to a different question. You talk about the storytelling aspect of architecture and. Um... I guess, multi-generational too, uh, that defines your career. How uh, and what do you incorporate story into your designs? Well, it's interesting because, you know, every client has a story and where they came from. Um, They have their own history and their own backdrop. Um, The interesting thing is, is, is then they also, you know, have purchased a property and that property sits in a place that, has already a, a well-documented history about the buildings and the people that settled there. Uh, so it's it's interesting to sort of marry the ambition of the client um, and to the property and and have the property you know speak to the architectural precedent that used to be there and or still exists there. And then this new building is going to co-mingle with those existing buildings. And those buildings, usually um, uh, the ones that have lasted, have lasted because they were durable um, and because they they continue to delight people. And so that that, that sort of architectural apparatus is, is, is what we kind of use as a narrative, let's say, um, for the the, the people and the activities that we hope are going to take place there and become the future history 
of that you know particular location. And to me, there's something very beautiful about that. Um, these buildings have a tendency to um, uh, have a uh, a quality about them that I really appreciate, and not. Not all of them are architectural or architect designed. Uh, you know, some of them were just master craftsmen, um, and so there's quirkiness and and you know there was a uh, a lack of technology when these buildings were built uh, and 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 have adapted in many ways. And so you know they 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 change and they adapt to their um, their occupants of the time. Um, and what you find are are you you find these. Um, very interesting archetypes that develop locally on these in, in these different areas that we're working, and those are the things that kind of excite me. Those are the things I try to uh, share with my client, discover and share with my clients, so that they actually can kind of understand, um, you know, this 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 um, this narrative that we're essentially trying to sort of apply to it. So there, there really is some storytelling and then now they're going to tell their story on this property. Okay. I guess I understand now the title heirloom. So heirloom houses being the, the family story of the house and its integration with the architecture and the environment. Very much. Yes. And it's a, um, it's, it's, it's partially there and it's, um, uh, it's partially invented, um, but it's always influenced and has been shaped by the things that we see around it um, and the environment itself. So can you tell me um, maybe one of your favorite uh, projects in this book that tells a really, tell us a really good story? Uh, well, um, they're all different. They're favorites for different reasons. Um, uh, my one of my favorite houses is the is the one that's on the cover, um, which is a shingle style house um, on Geneva Lake in Wisconsin. Um, it was uh, designed for a mid- Midwest rooted family, um, and uh, they uh, are very much sort of urban animals in the city of Chicago. And um, on the weekends, really enjoy retreating as a family and spending time together with their with their children. And so this really is sort of a, a beautiful sort of um, counterpart to the uh, vibrant business life that they lead in the city of Chicago is this genteel sort of lake house, um, you know, in uh, in Wisconsin. And. Uh... So how does, how does your design process for a client like that, how does it work? What kind of mediums and materials do you use that you kind of discuss in the book? Okay. Um, well, we, we start with a pretty aggressive um, questionnaire, actually, that tries to dig a little bit into, you know, some of the motives for building and buying and purchasing this property and what they're looking to achieve there. Um, and, and maybe a little bit of insight into how they see the five to 10 year window, the 10 to 20 year window and the 20 year plus window, uh, in their crystal ball, if they could essentially look into their own future a little bit, um, uh, their hopes and aspirations, um, uh, for how they want to use the, the house and, and who they want to, um, you know, entertain in the house are really kind of important 
important aspects to you know what kind of a house we're going to design. If it's a if it's a house for gathering um, and and it's a place to be together, we want to try to help strengthen that by yeah. making sure the rooms are laid out properly and you know how the sort of uh, you know how the kitchen works into the space. Uh, you know, are there a lot of little contemplative spaces? Where people can sort of separate and have their own privacy, or are they, you know, really set up to reinforce, you know, gathering, you know, game playing activities, things like that. Um, and then we spend a lot of time on the property itself, and we look to see, you know, how the sun is reacting with the property, what kind of uh, views we have. Um, what is the morning light? What is the afternoon light? What is the evening light? Um, we can look a little bit into sort of seeing what the seasonal changes are. And, you know, if these buildings are going to be used in multi-seasons, um, uh, we look to see the juxtaposition of the neighboring properties and how those will sort of interact with this property um, and um, begin to start coming up with a site strategy, um, how to start zoning, you know, public, semi-private and private spaces, um, and how then can we essentially um, heighten the experiences of putting the program in, in, in certain locations so that, you know, let's say somebody wants to wake up in the morning and they really want a sunny, um, you know, breakfast space you know, in their kitchen, <laughs> um, you know, that clearly helps lay out, you know, where we start, you know, putting some of the anchor spaces on our property. Um, and it's fairly simple. I have to tell you, we, we mostly start with a lot of hand sketches and pencil drawings and sketchbooks and just coming up with uh, just some, you know, sort of conceptual studies. And, um, and those are the ways we sort of primarily start our conceptual design and, um, and then begin the dialogue with the client. And then the building sort of begins to mold itself based on those conversations. Yeah, I think I see that the cover is, uh, of your book is uh, also page 34 and 35, where it has the front of the house and it has a beautiful drawing evolving into some watercolor and some computer rendering and then it's pretty because it had i guess it blends into the photograph too right <laughs> yes it does it's sort of the evolution of you know sort of concept study and then reality hopefully after it's all completed so so that it all comes together um so well i'm kind of curious you mentioned you, you studied in paris just to get off the track just a little bit how does how did that influence your designs was studying there influence your designs here in the united states <laughs> Well, um, you know, materiality and craftsmanship is so um, timeless when you, you know, are immersed in a, in a culture that, you know, is, is, um, has left so many significant, you know, artifacts uh, in, in, their, um, in their culture. Uh, you know, beauty has endured for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And Essentially, I think what happens is, is, you know, you've got a culture that embraces that level of craftsmanship that can actually, you know, withstand that kind of time um, and age grace, gracefully. And so one of the things that, you know, I noticed when I was there is just 
this sort of the embellishment and the simplicity of of craftsmanship that is so durable. So uh, you know you can have a small square with four trees, a light post, and a bench. Um, and if all of those things are are executed well, you you know can have something that's just incredibly beautiful and enduring. Um, and 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 as a moment in the landscape, uh, it 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 stays and it's it's a um, it's it's a it's a embrace of a culture that really um, they're they're valuing this level of craftsmanship and this artistry that is something we find more enduring over time. They are things that last. And those are the things that I become very, very attracted to because I wonder how many lives have stumbled upon this moment in space. I wonder, you know, how many people sat and contemplated something on that bench um, and, uh, and, and sometimes you, you even find that people will want to leave some sort of, uh, record that they were there and it's either, you know, uh, like you've seen these bridges with all the locks on them and they have like just thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of locks on these bridges. And so it's just really interesting that, you know, good design and beautiful spaces have a tendency to, um, create a reaction from people. And that's what I think is so enduring. Well, I guess that type of design, especially for your houses of generations and they're planning for generations ahead, um, makes sense. Yeah. I'd like to think that, you know, the little children that we're designing playrooms for, are eventually going to be hanging your wedding dress on one of those doors, you know, and, um, and they're going to start the next chapter in that family's history, um, you know, in, in those walls uh, that they've, you know, enjoyed living uh, and sharing with their family members so much. And, um, you know, there are all these um, uh, films, I think, that really kind of epitomize that. So like in fried green tomatoes, when, you know, um, you know, the, the, the lead actress passes, you know, they, they stop the clock and they, they cover the, the windows. And, um, you know, there was these things that were done physically in the residential environment that marked that moment, you know, and it's, you know, living and passing. Um, and great houses, you know, can endure those generational sort of changes. And that's what's really interesting to me. Um, I'm very, very drawn to those kinds of moments where life and our surroundings need to sort of coordinate and, and they align. Um, and, and those moments in time are the things that, you know, are, are sort of etched in your, in your memory. Do you think that... Um just kind of off the cuff question. Uh, Americans are going for, you know, more houses that are, yeah, have the craftsmanship and uh, the durability instead of just something fast and quick and easy. Well, I think, I think, um, I think that there are individuals that 
um, are very much in tune with uh, their place in in that sort of location, you know, as a, as a citizen, that location that they've chosen to, you know, do something enduring. So I have a client who um, his family has had a vacation home on a lake for generations, many generations. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously as generations expand and, you know, there's multitudes of cousins and, you know, um, you, you have expanding families, you know, what ends up happening sometimes is, is, uh, you know, there's just no longer the ability to sort of accommodate everybody, um, you know, and so somebody will have to establish a new tradition, but maybe across the lake or down the street or something. Um, but yet they see how their family has been a citizen of this particular lake community for those generations. And there's a deep respect. Um, so there is a, a, a need to not want to offend or to do something that's grossly overscale or to make sure that it has a super high level of quality um, that, you know, is one of those benchmark enduring sort of, um, you know, citizens itself, where the building actually sort of sits among all the other buildings in a way that, you know, is respectful. And, and, and when, when I have clients that come to me with those kinds of things, typically they're looking for designs that are, and, and an aesthetic that is a little more timeless. Um, and so they are looking sometimes to more historical or classically oriented, you know, architecture types, uh, because they want it to look like it's not something that was just, you know, sort of in your face, too much glass, too reflective, too, you know, they want it to be a little quieter. They want it to live well. Uh, they want it to be durable. Oh, yeah. I, I, I know what you mean. I've been to Paris and um, I, I know what you mean. It, it, uh, the landscapes and, and the buildings tell a story together. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? You know, the, that, you know, you, you go down the Grand Boulevards and, you know, the buildings are somewhat repetitive, but they're all done with such incredible craftsmanship. And, you know, even though the lines are conti continuous from one building to the other, you see a level of stone carving and, and um, of ironwork and the way the weird street angles hit each other creates these opportunities for these really exuberant sort of ends to the architecture. So you have like these, you know, towers and turrets and, you know, this building, you know, sort of manifests, you know, these, these um, focal points um, that are usually in these places where the geometry is most complex. And it, and it's, it's really wonderful to sort of see because you want this continuity, but you also want this ability to stand out. So in your book too, though, you, you also cover some contemporary houses. Uh, can you talk about a, a couple of those clients? What do you, uh, what, what, what's one of your favorites there? Well, um, we, you, you get up obviously opportunities to do, you know, and in this, in this profession, I love the fact that we get to do, you know, different stylistic, um, sort of creative, you know, endeavors for different clients. Um, uh, and so, uh, we, one of the things that we, um, uh, really enjoy is when we also get an opportunity to work in some high rises and there's, 
an urban glamour project that um, is really beautiful. And that's a, um, for an art collector and um, he and his wife uh, wanted an entertainment uh, space. And so they chose a, a penthouse in a high rise that is a contemporary building. Um, and we essentially were able to essentially, you know, custom build out the interiors and um, they wanted uh, it to be modern and fresh, but they also really loved, um, you know, French art deco. And so we were able to sort of influence the interiors with a French sort of art deco aesthetic that um, carried on through to the interior finishes as well, which is really fun. Well, contemporary could still be timeless and craftsmanship too, because I, I mean, by the way, for the audience, because I know they can't see your book right here. I mean, it's sure. beautiful. The, the photography is beautiful. Thank you. Well, contemporary architecture, modern architecture, um, you know, is, is a fascinating, um, it, it's, it's fascinating uh, in that uh, in the hands of, of really brilliant architects, uh, they come up with a, a vocabulary that is simple, but incredibly sophisticated in that um, it's divisiveness to be able to show a cleanliness and, a, and, and an ability to, um, you know, essentially detail uh, the you know, elements and detail, um, you know, the utilitarian aspects of the design aesthetics uh, is really magical. Uh, and you really, then you get into the discussions about the form, um, the durability of materials, um, you know, how those pieces are handled. Um, and there has to be an incredible precision in order to bring that across successfully. Um, you know, these magical windows that disappear at corners and things like that. And it's just exquisite to see that kind of detail. And it has to be absolutely precise. Um, you know, there isn't anything forgiving about it because it's there are only such essential elements that unless they're all done with incredible precision, they don't work. And so that's the beauty um, of, of, of those aesthetics in, in, in the design. Okay, well, you've still got you've got lots of design, you've got lots of design styles in here. Uh, well, we go to like English country coastal, and you say in here, uh, and and you write. Uh, Steve wrote beautifully in this book; it's really nice. Um, the half timbered house has been moved around since medieval times, yet it continues to be one of the most beloved residential architectural styles. Uh, can you talk more about uh, your uh, family family home with an English accent? <laughs> Um, well, you know, it's interesting because that client bought a magnificent piece of property overlooking Lake Michigan. Um, and that, um, they had, uh, lived in, there's in, in Milwaukee, there are these, you know, sort of Tudor influenced residences, um, both English and French, um, that you see, uh, you know, kind of everywhere. And what I love about them is, you know, they're very sort of, they have a traditional sort of shell seemingly from the outside. But what's really interesting about them is that the spaces were usually larger. Um, the embellishments allowed them to be able to gang windows together. And so you would get large expansions of glass and very tall sort of combinations of windows and transoms and 
and you know windows above that where you, you could get these incredible sort of glazed walls that usually would allow the outside and the inside to work very well together. Um, but you're also in a northern uh, environment where you don't have um, you you don't have a, um, a a lot of daylight in the winter time, and so when you occupy your house, you know by the evening, you no longer have the light of the outside. Um, what's nice about it is those large expanses of glass are broken up by warm materials, typically like timber um, or beamwork or 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 um, uh, or a woodwork of some sort that allows the warmth of of the uh, inside to sort of you know sort of transect that you know big expanse of glass, and so it's it's very embracing and comfortable to be in, and, and as a family home. This client had lived in a number of uh, English Tudor influenced design homes before they actually built one. And so for them, that epitomized the idea of a embracing family home, especially on a rural site. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. And uh, I guess it kind of goes to like a house of all seasons. You've got a, a chapter here with, uh, and I love this reflection in the water, the photograph, it reflects the house. So it's kind of reflection of the seasons. Um, so how do you, uh, it says here, maximize potential that uh, houses rarely end up exactly where they started. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> um, you know, that I think a lot of times, um, you know, the intent of a house in the very beginning uh, for, you know, is matched to the client that builds it. And over time, those things change. You know, they get sold, they get bought, someone buys them for a different reason. Um, and and what's what's really interesting to me is inevitably those artifacts are found and, and loved. Uh, and they essentially sort of, um, they, they endure to what their initial intention was, which was, you know, a style, um, a attitude towards the design aesthetic and its, its, its ability to relate to its surroundings. Could you give me an example? <laughs> talk, talk about um, what's your clients. <laughs> yeah. So um, if you look a little bit further into the book, there's, uh, there's a, uh, a project called Cottage Romantic. Um, and it's a it's a quirky lake house that you know sits on the shores of um, Lake Michigan uh, in the in the Door County Peninsula of Wisconsin. Um, and when my clients bought it, um, you know it was it was built probably in the early 1900s. Um, it had transformed and turned into a a rooming house, you know, back in the 50s and 60s, and you know it it kind of it, it's it's um, it's interesting, quirky attitude as a lake home, um, you know, had been muddled up completely. Um, and and then you sort of layer on, you know, the fact that this probably didn't have a lot of technology or a lot of 
you know, advanced wiring or electrical workers. And then, you know, over the years, people just kind of, you know, superimpose conduit over walls and things like that. Um, and, you know, this was probably a seasonal house and then it became a year round house. And so w- the example that I'm trying to bring up is then all of a sudden somebody finds it, which is this diamond in the rough and brings, you know, the architect to it and says, do you think we should tear it down or do you think we should keep it? Um, and at that moment, you know, it's, it's my opinion, but my opinion is, is this is so interesting and so quirky that if we get rid of all the junk that's muddled it up and covered it up and, you know, hidden half the windows and taken away half of the elements, we can undo and restore something that will be enduring and beautiful for another lifetime. And essentially that was our project um, was to, you know, understand and recognize the weird, quirky, strange things that were going on in the house, get rid of all the junk that, you know, helps cloud it and then bring it back to, you know, something that is loved all over again. And so that's, that's sort of a, it's an interesting sort of essay on, on, on the history of a building, but it's, 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 it found its, its rightful owner who came in and saw it for what it was um, and valued it enough to restore it rather than replace it. Well, that kind of, kind of goes to the next one. I, I like this, the charm of the farm, um, the American farmhouse. Um, that's true. It's a, uh, it's a classic in a way for our, our country because we don't have a lot of history like Europe, but it's, um, it's been an integral part of a seemingly endless architectural conversation. What, what is that conversation you can have with a farmhouse? Well, um, so it's, it's interesting. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, the, the farmhouse there, you know, this whole aesthetic of the modern farmhouse, um, you know, as, 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 you know, obviously become, you know, a, a sort of mega trend in design, especially in residential over the last, you know, five, six years, let's say. Um, and, uh, I think there's something incredibly romantic about this, you know, this residence that sort of sat, um, as the sort of headquarters of a agricultural, you know, enterprise, um, where all of the people in it were a part of this enterprise. And so the idea of sustaining yourself, you know, in the land, sustaining and growing vegetables and meat and, you know, animals and livestock and poultry and, you know, all the things that, you know, sort of, you know, make up the sort of makeup of a farm um, is, is really kind of a um, it's, it's one of those true American, you know, it's, I shouldn't say American. It's, it's, it's one of those true lifestyles that have, has transcended for, you know, centuries and centuries and centuries and centuries, right? So, you know, people living and working the land and sustaining themselves a living and having enough to be able to take to market. Um, And so they could, you know, sort of, uh, you know, sell and trade. Um, And and that family home, that enterprise home was a lot about utility. It was a lot about, you know, um, being able to you know, go out and, you know, pick the harvest and can, and you had a lot of really interesting architectural spaces 
like summer kitchens and places like that, where, you know, they were really set up for utility, for the idea of being able to, you know, harvest all this, this sort of offerings from the land, can it and sustain it so that you had it for the cold months and for the months when the farm wasn't producing as much. Um, and so the boldness of these utility spaces in a farmhouse, like these big working kitchens where there was a table right in the middle uh, and everybody sat around and you talked about what the tasks were for the day while you were having your morning sustenance and your morning coffee about, you know, this horse needs shoes and this wagon wheel needs fixing and this, you know, 40 acres needs to be tilled. There's something really romantic and wonderful about the idea of a house being, you know, essentially the headquarters of an enterprise. And I, I love that juxtaposition. And it's really interesting because it's an unusual um, archetype. Can you uh, talk about a, a favorite farmhouse that you've designed? Well, I, I have one that hasn't, it's not in this book that I'm just finishing and it's on a biodynamic farm. Um, and it is a Spanish colonial farmhouse that sits in Southern California. Um, it's a very, uh, interesting, um, environment to work in. Uh, that will be in the next volume of hopefully heirloom houses too. Um, the, there's a, um, uh, there is a, uh, uh, a house in here called the House on the Prairie, and it's inspired by you know sort of a prairie farmhouse um, where it has multiple sort of um, uh, multiple sort of looks like buildings that you know make up this this little residential sort of compound. Um, so there's a pair of garages. The house itself is not a very big house. It's very open. It's based on having an open hearth. Um, one large, really big space, um, and then it has some refuge spaces. Um, but the the home itself is a very simple floor plan, um, and it's 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 got an aesthetic inside of it that I think is is a little more up to date, um, a little bit more um, sort of transitional, in that it doesn't speak speak to or just embrace historic archetypes. It is actually something that is is looking to be a little bit more open. Um, uh, it's got a much larger sort of more open floor plan. Um, the clients love light. So everything about this house is about the light and its exposure. I'm making you flip all different pages of the book, aren't I? <laughs> yeah, that's okay. Um, so that's perfectly fine. I mean, an opportunity for me to, you know, take a look at the book all over again. It's a fresh look. So yeah, well, can that kind of goes. To, so can heirloom houses? Can they be contemporary too? I mean, or they, you all look. It looks very up to date on the inside. Yes, and 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 the answer is absolutely. You know, um, I think uh, anything that is done, whether it's sort of you know clean and contemporary, uh, or has a lot of sort of historic precedent. Um, you know, can be an heirloom house because it's it's about it's about the feeling you get in a space, and there's a there's a there's an embrace that speaks to you as home speaks to you, um, and it's you know a place where you know we seek refuge. It's a place where we um, seek you know sustenance. It's a place where 
um, you know, we gather, it's a place where we mourn, it's a place where we celebrate, um, you know, home is many things and, and, and has to serve multiple functions for, you know, its occupant. Um, but at the end of the day, it's how you feel about that space, how those spaces make you feel. Um, and, and that's the interaction of the landscape and the building itself and how those tie together. Okay, well, I'll confess, my, my master's degree is actually in, in the landscape architecture, so I, I, I like your landscapes. Thank you. <laughs> so, uh, uh, that garden folly and estate renovations. Um, what do you do around the outside of your houses, too? How do you bring the outside, inside, inside out? How do you incorporate that into your design? So I guess it depends on the weather, too. Well, it, 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 yeah, it depends on, it depends on the weather, the location, the view, the orientation. Um, you know, sometimes you have spectacular sites. Um, you know, we do a lot of lake residences, let's say, and, you know, but lake, you know, obviously lake shores have all different orientation. And so, um, you know, there are, there are some lots that are somewhat challenging because they have north facing views. So you really, really want to make sure that, you know, all these rooms are oriented towards that view. Um, but it's also, unfortunately, the side of the house that gets the least amount of direct sunlight. And so one of the challenges that you have with, with, with uh, sites such as that um, is, you know, being able to sort of lay out the program of the house, maximize the view, but also be able to create enough transparency to the warm side of the house or the south facing sides of the house so that you get those deeper penetrations of sunlight and that helps activate a space and warms it up and gives it that glow and becomes in spaces a space that you really want to be in um, and so that also then also speaks to how you say like lay out your exterior spaces as well so you know do you want to walk outside and and you know maybe in a in a very warm climate like in Tennessee, you know, it's great to have north facing shaded views because you don't have the heat of the sun, you know, making it unbearable. Um, but in places like Wisconsin, where you really want the warmth of the sun to come in, um, you know, that can pose a challenge. And so, you, you know, the way we lay out our landscapes is we, first of all, try to inform them by the how we essentially lay out the interior rooms and what are their counterparts to the outside. And then how do those essentially, how can we continue to, you know, enhance those views? So like one of the things that we might do is use the grade, for instance. So you may walk out at grade, um, but then step down four or five steps so that the furniture doesn't become something you're looking through if you're looking at a lake view, let's say, you know, and so that furniture then can be sunken essentially out so that the vista, the grand vista isn't clouded by a bunch of stuff you know, and that you can really see out. And I think if we can essentially capture, you know, some pleasant microclimates outside where a porch stoop might be or a sunny spot where a screen porch could essentially be, um, that also essentially helps us then create the moves that we can collaborate with the landscape architect on how to lay out the outdoor spaces, um, you know, there's views and fire rings and screen porches and stoops. Um, you know, we have this ability to create, you know, gardens 
um, and and we have Vista points and um, and we have places where you can just cozy up and read a book. So, uh, you know, I think laying out, you know, the building and the siting of it is really, really important. Probably the most important thing that that, you know, we can sort of start with outside of aesthetics, outside of any of those things. I think the diagram of how the site and spaces um, inside and outside work together. So I know it's uh, it's kind of hard, like picking your favorite child, but is there a, another uh, project in this book that stands out to you uh, with story? And uh, I just it was a great client to work with that, like, you know, a, a collaboration uh, because your interiors are, are just, just stunning too. the interior designs are beautiful. Can you, a, a project that uh, really were like everything comes together like, you know, magic. Do you know what I mean? Sure. Um, well, I. I... I, I think we're fortunate in that a lot of our clients, um, you know, do see that potential. And those are the things that we begin to sort of explore together. I, I think um, one of the, there, there's a number of projects that I think, you know, work very well. Um, I think from my perspective, uh, I think that the new fashion farmhouse was one of those uh, was one of those um, projects. Um, there's a uh, a project that we did called Contemporary Folk, um, and that is another uh, sort of house that I think it really really works well together. The the layout, the aesthetic, um, and how it works with the outside. Um, you know the the yard spaces, the courtyards, um, and I think that. Um, both of those projects um, have some have some moments in there that just really, really came together well. Uh, they over overcame challenges, um, or they embraced something unique about the client. So, um, in the in the you know contemporary folk house, um, you know that originally was was designed for my brother, and so um, you know the the fact that you know I was able to essentially do something to with my own family and come up with a design that I thought, you know, really hit the mark in, 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 in its simplicity, beauty, but also in its ability to sort of create some drama and warmth uh, was something that I really was excited about. Um, you know, lots of beautiful light. Um, the way it laid out on the landscape was, was, was really well um, executed. The contractor did a great job. Um, material palettes was very clean and fresh. Um, but that's a that's a project that I'm I'm quite proud of, uh, and then the new fashion farmhouse um, I th- I thought was inc- inc- an incredible project because uh, th- the client um, really loved uh, very sophisticated tailored sort of um, details, and um, in this particular uh, uh, in this particular home they weren't looking for huge spaces. They had four children. Um, they were looking for a great family home that lived well. Uh, and uh, I think that the spaces ended up, you know, being very rich, beautifully tailored, well executed, um, but not grossly overscaled. And I think that that's always a challenge because, um, you know, sometimes when people are willing to put a lot of resources, you know, into a project, um, sometimes the scale can get out of your out of hand. Um, 
where you walk into rooms and all the furniture is an island because, you know, there's stuff on every single wall. Uh, in this particular case, it was really nice to be able to have, you know, the ability to, to build in furniture, uh, build in big, comfortable bench seats in bay windows, you know, not, you know, so far from the fireplace that you can't feel the warmth of it. Um, and so there were some nice things that took place scale-wise in that residence. And that those are some of the things that I truly appreciate. And those are some of those uh, qualities that you find in, in these anonymous homes that are well-respected and enduring, um, that they, they, they don't, they don't, they aren't so grossly overscaled that they, you know, um, they're, they're not consistent with the neighborhood or the fabric. Oh, that sounds, yeah. How was your brother for a client? Was he, was he a good client? <laughs> Family members can be challenging. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a lot of fun. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, it's really beautiful to be able to, um, uh, you know, one of the things that, you know, is, is, you know, they're, they're, you know, like you said, you don't have a, a, a favorite, you know, project, you know, they're, they're kind of all your favorites. Um, and they're, you know, there, there's a part of you in all of them. Um, but most of them, you, you know, when they're done, you really don't have a whole lot of, you know, involvement in those, uh, in the history of what's going to take place in those homes. And doing something for a family member is really different because then all of a sudden, you know, there's a benchmark gathering or a holiday or something like that, that you're a part of. And so, um, you know, for me, it was one of those things where, you know, I was very uh, aware of the things that, you know, I thought would be, you know, enhancements uh, furnishing wise for the, my brother's house. And so every time there was a holiday or something like that, I would end up you know, hitting all the antique stores and just bringing a gross amount of stuff to the proper for the project. Um, there's a really great house that is not in this book because we didn't do the whole house. We only did the kitchen and it was actually for my other sibling, which is my sister. And, um, and I was there for uh, the holidays this last uh, December and it was really magical to be there for the holidays and to have the, the work that you do all of a sudden be, now come part of the history of your life, which is really fun. So I guess heirloom houses is just really, it's just about family. It is in many ways. It really is. Yeah. Uh, well, Wade, I know we've taken up a lot of your time today and I thank you for being here. And this is a, a stunningly beautiful book. Um, since they can't, since they can't, the audience can't see it. I just have to tell them about, describe it. Uh, the drawings and, and the, the photography all come together. Um, so I always give everybody an opportunity. Uh, can you tell the audience, uh, what are you working on now? Well, I am working on a couple of really interesting projects. One of them is a large hospitality project in Nashville. We're sort of expanding um, into even more extraordinary, bigger homes, which is, you know, sort of the next level, which is hotel. Um, we're looking at, um, doing a couple of small boutique inns on a couple of wineries on the central California coast. Um, we've been finishing, just put finishing touches on a, um, on a Spanish colonial farmhouse on a biodynamic farm outside of Los Angeles. Um, and, um, uh, working on a new lake compound, um, on a gorgeous piece of property in Northern Wisconsin, um, for, uh, again, uh, a multi-generational sort of resident 
who um, is uh, now, you know, uh, sort of venturing into building their own lake house instead of the, using the family lake house because of, you know, the inability to sort of have uh, direct access to it on a normal basis. Um, and so uh, they have another piece of property on the same lake uh, and are now looking to establish um, a new tradition for their family, which is kind of interesting. So, um, yeah, some really interesting projects. We're working on a, um, on a uh, small boutique subdivision outside of Pittsburgh. Um, we are working on another one outside of Milwaukee, where we're doing a number of the buildings there and some of the urban design or sort of new urbanist design ideas that we're incorporating into the, uh, into the master planning. So some really, yeah, some really interesting projects, you know, not, not, uh, just one, uh, trophy house after another, but, um, uh, some more modest, uh, you know, endeavors as well. Oh, that sounds fascinating. Um, well, thank you for, for being here today and I'll tell our audience, this is heirloom houses, the architecture of Wade Weissman published by Gibson Smith in 2018. And this has been Trisha Kaffer from sunny Key Largo, Florida, your host for New Books and Architecture, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. If you have any ideas for books, please send me an email at plantspeoplelove at gmail.com. And thank you for being here. Thank you very much, Trisha. I really appreciate you taking the time to get to know my book a little better.